Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Special welcome to our trumpeter, Neil, who's with us again, and also to Sheila's old friend and good friend, Diana. We hope that you both enjoy your time with us, and thank you for being here. Our Remembrance Day service will be led by our Minister, Katrina, and as always, everything we need to follow this service is on our printed orders and also on the screen. At 11am, along with millions of others, we will observe two minutes of silence and Katrina will guide us through that. Please stay if you can and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of this service. Then this evening at 7pm, our evening service in Wellington Church will also be led by Katrina and this will be a service on the theme of remembrance and include community. Just a very quick housekeeping note, if I actually switch my mic on, that would help. Um, when we get to the silence, um, as usual, we will be pro projecting the names from our own memorial plaques on the screen, and that will be our signal of when this minute the two minutes begins and ends. But I will just remind you when we get to that point. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that my joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends.
in a few moments we will join in the act of remembrance using the same words that will be used in churches and public squares, the length and breadth of these islands and indeed in other nations. This is not an act of celebration, this is an act of commemoration and remembrance. And those who are able are invited to stand as we make this act of remembrance. As I've already said, on the screen during the two-minute silence will appear the names of all those from this church, its missions and branches, who went to fight in the First and Second World Wars and who didn't return. So if you're able, would you please stand with me now? We are in the presence of God. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith for reconciliation between the nations that all people may, together, live in freedom, justice and peace. We pray for all who in bereavement, disability and pain continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been taken away. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them.
Let us pray together. God of times and seasons, God of rituals and festivals, God of remembering and respecting, we come to you on this 11th day of the 11th month, just after the 11th hour, to remember and to respect, to commemorate and to question, to pause and to pray. Today, even as we gather in the safety of this place, soldiers and civilians are dying in conflicts around the globe. Today, even as we honour the memory of lives cut short, people are dying far too soon in poverty and from preventable diseases. Today, our commemoration and questioning go hand in hand. It is good to remember, for to forget would be dangerous. It is good to question, for silence infers complicity. Today, we are conflicted and confused, unsure how best to honour some without shaming others, aware of our own yearning to be honoured and our own fear of shame. So hear us as we pray together using the words of the one who endured shame that all creation might be redeemed and your rule of peace find full expression in this earth. And so we say in our own languages, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The is the kingdom, the power and the
some of you may or may not be familiar with this photograph. It's one I have used before in a previous Remembrance Sunday service. This is the shot at dawn memorial at the National Memorial Arboretum in Olrawas in Staffordshire in the middle of England. And at the very far corner, the easternmost corner of this place in which soldiers, sailors, airmen, firefighters, the Boys Brigade, neonatal deaths and all sorts of others are remembered, is this place set aside to remember the 309 men shot at dawn for cowardice, desertion or treason. I have to confess, when I go to the the Memorial Arboretum, which I haven't done for a number of years, this is the place I go first. Because this, for me, is the real cost of that war. I'm going to show you a short video. Um, Unfortunately, we've had some issues with sound, so we're going to have to settle for what comes out of the projector. So we need to be extra quiet, but hopefully we'll be able to hear it. In a secluded spot at the National Arboretum in Staffordshire, 309 stakes mark out a memorial to those British Army and Commonwealth men who shot at dawn in World War I. At a service of dedication, three new plaques were unveiled, giving Private Braithwaite, Gunnar Lewis and Corporal Short their place in history. We wanted to make sure that at the very minimum that the relatives were aware of what was happening today, but also obviously to invite them and to get them involved in any of the decision making and they've been um, really involved and happy to uh, come down from Edinburgh and Newcastle and also from New Zealand. Jack Braithwaite was shot on the morning of October 29th, 1916, accused of mutiny. He was a rascal, he was a rogue, Uh, he probably drank too much, he got into prison and thought he was very clever, he liked ladies. And therefore, we often have to without leave. So there's a character. And I emphasise with my family, you know, he shouldn't have done what he did. He shouldn't have really shot. Although the three new names were pardoned, it seems that many of the families kept their stories quiet. Gunner William Lewis's nephew never even knew he existed. He was shot for being absent without leave, uh, and then theft and eventually for mutiny, and they blamed him as being one of the ringleaders in one of the Blarchie prison in, in France. He complained about the, the cuisine, the, the conditions, the latrines, everything just seemed to be wrong, and he was named as a ringleader, and as that was his third uh, offence, the uh, Earl Haig said he was to be shot. So, uh, um, I've got mixed emotions today. It's someone I didn't know. I don't even know if my mum knew. I don't even know, you know, who knew in the family. And there's no one I can now ask. But uh, thankfully today has brought some sort of closure. Described by their regiment as deserters, cowards and mutineers a hundred years ago, they've now all been pardoned. (coughs) Forces News, Staffordshire. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing 
a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Jesus said, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the, great, to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Most of you know that I make a lot of train journeys. And as a result of these train journeys, I am familiar with the majority of the stations on the West Coast Main Line. Quite often, I have to change trains at Preston. And usually when I do so, there is enough time to justify going and sitting down in the waiting room. And if anybody has changed trains at Preston Station and been in the waiting room, you will know it's not exactly the most beautiful place on the planet. It's got those metal chairs. It's got some very nice clean toilets, but it's very functional space. But if you look closely on the walls, 
you will find that there are memorial plaques, not to soldiers, but to women who served cups of tea. Because here at the Preston Station Buffet, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of military personnel going to and from the Great War were served with cups of tea free of charge. Very often, the only hot drink and the only refreshment they would have had on a journey, perhaps from Calais or Dover to Glasgow, Edinburgh or Inverness. This year, that room has been redecorated and there are lots of quotes up on the wall that celebrate and commemorate the generosity of these women. And I think in this context, celebration is, is probably justified. But there are no names. We know nothing about these women. Were they the nice, genteel ladies from the big houses who came down to do their bit? Or were they the mill girls in their scant free time? Or, as I like to imagine, did the two stand side by side? One with the cups, one with the big teapots or the urn or whatever it was. I don't know is the answer. But what I do know is without favour or fear, they served cups of tea to officers and other ranks and the lowest of the low from privates to whatever. They all got served with a cup of tea and these women knew nothing about these men except they were thirsty. And they gave them a nice drink, a hot drink. Of course, those going south, many would not come back. And of those who didn't come back, most probably were honoured as heroes, but some weren't. They would have been amongst those who were shamed, those who were shot at dawn. But not knowing and not distinguishing, even if they could have known, these women gave them a cup of tea. So this year I've got an English poppy, which I bought at Preston Railway Station to honour the women who serve cups of tea to the men travelling to or from the front. I cannot begin to imagine how it must have felt to watch your brother, your lover, your father or anybody you cared about leave home and go far, far away to fight for a cause they could not possibly understand even if they happened to believe in it. I cannot begin to imagine the knock on the door that you opened and there was a telegram boy with a messenger to bring you that dreaded news, missing in action, presumed dead. I cannot begin to imagine the pain of learning that somebody you loved had died, let alone the shame that he had been shot at dawn by his colleagues, people he knew, because he was deemed to be a coward or a troublemaker. <laughs> I can't begin to imagine the relief when a loved one returned, nor begin to understand the challenges those men faced as they tried to adjust to civilian life after all the atrocities of war they had witnessed. cannot begin to imagine the feelings that people had when war memorials were unveiled, such as our own or those in public squares, etched in stone or engraved on metal, there in perpetuity, the name of somebody you loved. Nor can I begin to imagine the agony of knowing that your loved one's name would not be on that. <coughs> because they had been deemed to have died a shameful death. Honour and shame. Personal, private, public and publicised. 
Today, as we mark 100 years since the signing of the armistice that ended the Great War, each one of us will have our own feelings, emotions, opinions, experiences. For some, and rightly so, it is an active remembrance of brothers, fathers, uncles who went far away, and in some cases either didn't return or returned irrevocably changed. And of course, as we now send women into the front line, there will be those for whom sisters, cousins, aunts, mothers may be among those numbers. For some, and rightly so, it's an active remembrance of their own story, of the colleagues that didn't come back, and of those who must live with the memory of what they have seen and done. For some, it's a very uncomfortable place to be. There's a vicarious guilt that clings because of the accident of birth that aligns them with the other, the enemy, the vanquished, the oppressor, whoever or wherever that may have been. It is not for no reason that our German member chooses to absent herself today. It is just too painful to be here. But Argentinians, Japanese, people from Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, many nations living among us for whom this is a difficult day. For some, it's an uncomfortable remembrance. A sense of shame about what we as a nation have done to others and about what we can do to those with whom we disagree. For some, it may be an angry remembrance, a reminder of human inhumanity, cycles of violence, of protests and arrests. For some, it is a tense remembrance, recognising the complexity and contradictions, the impossibility of shame-free honour and the impeccable hindsight that allows us to judge from the luxury of the 21st century in a Western liberal democracy. Maybe some of that resonates. Maybe in there is something that is how remembrance is for you. But maybe there isn't. Because remembrance is as unique as each and every one of us. And its impact on us is shaped by our own stories and those of the people whom we love. So what do we do with such wide-ranging wide and equally genuine responses? We are a community that celebrates diversity. We are a community in which the active pacifist and the employee of the Ministry of Defence may sit side by, by side. We are a community that chooses to display at equal level, because I've spent ages doing it, a white and a red poppy. We are a community of many nations, where yes, those who were once deemed the en enemy are represented. So how do we negotiate this complicated commemoration? Two passages came to mind as I was trying to find my way through this. And the one from Ecclesiastes seemed like a good place to start. I know this is a statement of the obvious, but it's poetry, not prose. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as we approach it, because it helps us to remind ourselves what it's not. It's not some detached observer recording facts about a binary or dualistic universe of either or. They're not saying it's either this state or that state. They're not saying there will be war or there will be peace, as if they are exclusive opposites. They're not saying you can love somebody or you can hate somebody, as if there is no in-between. Because we know the reality that life is never as stark a contrast as that. Usually it is somewhere in the middle. 
neither is it saying that there is some unwritten rule of the universe that says that time there will be peace and that time will be war. On that day you will laugh and on that day you will cry. We know that life doesn't work out like that. It's not neatly divided up into chunks. Laughter can be fleeting and pain can be chronic and they can coexist. Building up and tearing down don't necessarily follow in sequence, if at all, and what is scattered may never once again be gathered. And neither is it a promise that if you weep now, one day you will laugh, or is, nor is it a caution that if there is peace now, one day there will be war. What it does is draw our attention to these opposites. And yes, they may be our experience, either or both of them, or many of them, but in any combination or permutation and at any time. And so as we hear these opposites, perhaps we begin to wonder, can they be interconnected? Are they interrelated in some way? Recently, I read a reflection on gender identity, which was based on the creation story of Genesis 1, which is another poetic passage of scripture that uses binary categories. Using each act of creation, the writer explored both extremes and in-betweens. So, for example, God made night and God made day. And God also made sunset, sunset and twilight and dusk and dawn. God made land and God made sea. And God also made beaches and estuaries and land spits where, depending whether the tide is in or out, they may be one or the other. The God who separated the land from the sea and both from the sky is the God who made rainbows as sunlight is refracted through raindrops and, and so on and so forth. God made opposites and God made the fuzzy in between where it's not so easy to define or separate. And if that's true in the area of gender identity, <coughs> then what if we take that same idea and apply it to the Ecclesiastes passage? What if we say, actually, do you know what? There isn't a clear binary divide between war and peace, between love and hate, between weeping and laughing. What if we actually acknowledge that somehow these are interrelated? And what if we actually recognise that all too often where we are is an in-between state? that isn't neatly defined as one or the other. And what if we were to say that honour and shame coexist in such an in-between space? A place where we must live with tensions. Tensions that arise from a desire to seek the common good and to overcome evil. But what if we had the courage to admit to our own shame that sometimes the choices we face seem between a greater and a lesser evil. Or actually we may feel that an evil is necessary in order to achieve an ultimate good. It's not so easy to divide them up and say good, bad. Most of the time we're somewhere in the middle. And what if we could find a way to honour the courage of those who give themselves in the pursuit of what we judge to be good or necessary without shaming those who fail to meet expectations or who think differently from us? How do we live with the messiness of real life and attempt to transform it from within? Well, guess what? We go to some words from a first century Galilean preacher. Somebody who knew what it was like to live in an occupied nation, where the prevailing cultural norms operated on a balance of honour and shame, debt and indebtedness, as Paul reminded us last week. 
Within the Roman rule, Judaism was illicit, a permitted religion. The occupying force hadn't banned it, and they didn't openly, at least, persecute those who practiced this faith or were of this race. The Pax Romana, which I have to confess I've never fully studied, but it was a complex political system that ensured a relatively trouble-free existence. But even so, old enmities remained. We read the Gospels, we are told several times that the Jews hated the Samaritans. And we are given hints of the zealots whose one overruling desire was to overthrow Rome. And of course, if we go beyond the scriptures into the history of the time, we know that eventually such a thing was attempted and the temple was destroyed. So it's in this context, this messy context, that Jesus speaks his famous words. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. How is this even possible? How do you change the story? How do you break cycles of violence and revenge, suspicion and mistrust, shame and humiliation? The examples Jesus uses of slapping cheeks and taking robes are linked very much with the honour codes of the time. And if we had longer, I would talk to you about them, but we don't really. But suffice to say, what Jesus is telling his followers to do is kind of subversive. If somebody demands your robe, well, you just give them all your clothes and you walk around naked and then, you know, they have to deal with the consequence of that. It's that kind of action. It's peaceful protest, subverting the rules. These were actions that had the potential to change the status quo, to disrupt the cycle of oppression and shaming. And here's the mystery. It could free both parties, not just the one who was shamed, but also the one who was doing the shaming. They no longer had to go through this ritual of I'm shaming you and you have to give me that back and da 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 da. They were set free. But key to what Jesus says and is recorded here is just a very simple sentence that transcends faith or nation or anything. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. Earlier this week, I did a very ridiculous train journey and guess what? I stopped at Preston Station on the way back and my train was delayed because unfortunately on a southbound train somebody had become ill and we had to wait for a crew swap over. And we sat there and the train was warm and comfortable and I had the leftovers of my cup of tea that I bought earlier. And as I sat and waited for announcements and even as I suddenly realised there was a Glasgow train on the other platform and ran across to get it. I couldn't help but call to mind that a hundred years earlier, another train would have been standing at that platform, literally the same platform, and it would have been full of men who were tired and hungry and frightened by what they had experienced, wondering what they were going to find when they got home, and somebody who didn't know them handed them a hot cup of tea. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. Today, we hold the tension of the past and the present. Today, we recognise the interconnection of honour and shame. Today, we remember we reflect, and with God's help, commit ourselves to follow in the footsteps of the Galilean preacher, in whom honour and shame are perfectly combined and eternally redeemed. Amen.
are some more photographs from the Memorial Arboretum in Orawas. To me, this particular image carries an echo of the death of Christ, a body taken down from a place of execution and tenderly wrapped in a shroud. And here, the injured or the dead person is carried by their comrades, one walking backwards, making sure that they are treated with honour and with dignity. And then this most moving of all, a gate slightly ajar, and a person pointing to the dawn. Because this memorial is so arranged that at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, should the sun deign to shine, light will pour through that crack. The hope of a better world, a world of peace for all, in which death and sorrow and tears are no more. So let us pray. <coughs> Creator God, you who spoke a word, and the word we inhabit began to emerge from the chaos of nothingness, we draw close to you now with our prayers for that same world in which it sometimes feels that chaos and confusion threaten to overwhelm us and where the need for peace, love and respect is as great as it ever was. On this day of remembrance, we must bring to you the ongoing conflicts and wars across the globe Recognising that simply wishing away violence, oppression or cruelty will not make it so. However we feel about armed conflict, we know that the histories of all our birth nations are replete with battles and sieges, with treaties and ceasefires. We know that the freedoms and privileges we enjoy or take for granted didn't come free. And in that tangle of honour and shame, knowing and unknowing, we give thanks for those who gave of their best, however they understood that, either to protect or achieve those privileges. And so we pray for peace, not glibly, as if somehow you will make everything lovely, but tentatively, recognising the call on our own lives to be peacemakers and peacekeepers. We are grateful for organisations such as BMS World Mission, who go in the name of the Prince of Peace, to reach out in love and hope to the most marginalised and least evangelised people, offering entering nations where tensions are palpable and violence, insurrection or revolution always a possibility. We know that there are some mission partners whose names cannot be spoken because to do so would be to put them in danger. This week, we pray especially for the action teams, young adults taking a year out to go to remote places to walk, work alongside experienced mission partners. Here they will grow as followers of Jesus, learn compassion and generosity in tough contexts. What they will see and what they will share will change them. 
So help them discover more and more what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of Shalom that transcends every humanly defined border. Here in Scotland, we're grateful for the Baptist Union of which we are part. And we pray for our brothers and sisters serving in cities, towns and villages, reaching out to those around them, offering hope and welcome, love and acceptance. And today, we especially pray for those in Sankar, Shedoxley and Shettleston, each community with its own unique challenges and each of them places where people just like us seek to live out their lives free from fear, rejection and violence. Help those churches to be communities of peace and hope. Within our own congregation, our thoughts turn to Andrew and Jen and their sons Carl and Aidan. As together they negotiate the challenges of bringing up children in a digital age, alongside the incessant pressures of demanding employment, may Andrew and Jen know your deep, please, deep peace and the assurance that you are for them. Take away any insecurity or sense of inadequacy and give them renewed confidence for all that they do and all that they are. In a few moments of silence, we offer to God our own prayers for people and places that matter to us and also for ourselves as we do our best to follow Jesus. Redeemer God, in the shameful death of Jesus, you overcame the shame of separation between us, among us, and caused by us, reconciling all creation to yourself, defeating death, and promising a renewed creation where there will be no death, no war, no hatred, and no fear. Honour us now with a fresh awareness of your Spirit's disturbing presence so that we may become the answers to our own prayers, people of peace wherever we are and citizens of heaven for all eternity. Amen. God who takes away the sin of the world grant us peace and help us to use this money to be peacemakers in this community and beyond to the glory of your name Amen After our closing hymn we will join together in the world peace prayer which is on the back of the sheet um, I think it also will appear on the screen so don't close your eyes at the end of the hymn otherwise you might struggle to do the prayer
Thank you. 